This is The Guardian. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to the Guardian Football Weekly. It's the World Cup quarterfinal preview. How do you stop Kylian Mbappe in Kyle Walker we trust? Go to a back three, but then what happens to the midfield? Meanwhile, Ronaldo lost Portugal suddenly look like world beaters or at least Switzerland beaters, but Morocco are better, more resolute and tougher than Switzerland. You'd imagine there'll be less opportunity for dancing for the Brazilians against Croatia, who, well, must be a little tired by now, surely. And then there's Messi. Feels about a month ago that he started playing the hits against Australia, but will the defence behind him cope with the Dutch, who looked pretty dangerous last time out? We'll have space for your questions, of course. And that's today's Guardian Football Weekly. On the panel today, Lars Sivertson, welcome. Good morning, Max. And from the Racing Post, Mark Langdon, hello. Hi, Max. And Robin Cowan, fresh from Doha. Hello, Robin. <laughs> Hi, Max. Not so fresh, but getting there. <laughs> welcome home. Uh, let's start then uh, with England versus France. Uh, it, do excuse the uh, English bias, from my voice at least. Um, can England beat France and how? Mark? <laughs> uh, yes, they, they can beat France. Um, of, of course they can. It, it looks like a pretty close game to me between a, a French team that is not as reliant, say, as what Argentina are on Messi, but still, you know, fairly feels like if you do stop Mbappe, then that, that goes a long way to, to, to beating them. Um, England have scored a lot of goals at this World Cup. They look like they've got options off the bench. I think it's that kind of there's that negativity that comes from a certain section of England fans that will always look for bad things in the tournament. But you could pick holes in everybody that's played, I think, so far and go, well, that wasn't a good 45 minutes. You know, what happened there? So um, you can. How they do it. I've spent too long um, since we knew we were playing France working out how to sort of stop Kylian Mbappe. Mm-hmm. And it suddenly re- I realised today that it's not my decision whether Garrison <laughs> goes I was going, well, you know, if you go with a back three, you know, you do double up on Mbappe. And I can see the advantage of that. But then if we go three for three, we lose a man in midfield and then Griezmann might be spare. And, you know, if we go three five two, then of course you match up in midfield. You've got the cover for Mbappe. But then you know you've only got the two up front, and that you, in that formation the fullbacks is always an easy out for the other team. And if you give Teo Hernandez loads of space, um, then he can give the ball to Mbappe. So you're better off just you know going for free three. And four, you know it's a Gareth Southgate's decision, uh, not mine. Uh, I, I personally would would stick with the four three three. I wouldn't um, I wouldn't change um, just for Kylian Mbappe. I think you have to trust. Kyle Walker to do his job. Henderson, when he plays for Liverpool, is used to covering that side because of what Alexander Arnold does. Um, you know, um, in terms of going forward, and I think the best way of beating France is actually not to sort of hold on for 120 minutes and and, and try to counter attack them, but to play to to your strengths. And I think England's strengths 
you know, is to release Bellingham from that midfield to play with Foden and Saka and Kane as the front three and test the French team that's not keeping clean sheets. So I would, I would be um, sort of more aggressive, um, but I do understand why Southgate might go to a back three. Robin, when we in that game against Senegal, it, it looked like we actually we weren't great at playing through the midfield. And we had success when we sort of drew Senegal a bit towards us and then knocked it over the top. And I'm obviously a huge fan of this type of type of football, but there is no shame in it. And I, do you think England actually would be smart to be a bit more direct against France? Possibly, yeah. Although I think Philippe said it in the previous podcast that actually France don't, they're a bit French out of possession. They kind of go, okay, you know, we're not, we're not going to try and win it back really yeah. quickly. So yeah, no, it's it's a really interesting, as, as Mark was saying, decision. I think politically, Gareth Southgate can't change to a three at the back because then if England lose, then everyone will point to that. Whereas if they lose with the kind of same formation that has been relatively successful, it, there won't be so much outcry. Um, yeah, no, I I think it, it's it's going to be difficult. I think England can win. Will they? That's another question. I think that, but France, as Mark alludes to, they're not infallible they have weaknesses and as he said they've not kept a clean sheet at this tournament yet they can be got at in and Hernandez is pretty gung-ho um he he likes to go forward Kunde is not a traditional right back and you never know we might see a, a Rabio is Rabio Rabio performance instead than the so he's been pretty imperious actually so far so it it's it's yeah it's possible did have quite one question robin um for you about Rabio which was um uh, which was from Martin saying robin commentating on france how close did you get it must have been going to your was, mind when when, when Rabio so had it so <laughs> obviously uh, beforehand i was like can i shoehorn this in like i get <laughs> I get a few ways from the, the GFW uh, massive. I was so close, but unfortunately, he's been really bloody good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Lars, Lars, how do you see this going? Well, I'm intrigued. I mean, I completely agree with what Robin just said about how politically it's difficult to to even consider going to a back three. But but I, I hope Gareth Southgate doesn't care. I, I, I hope he sort of picks what he thinks is the best team. I mean, if you look at the sort of biggest and maybe only sort of big tournament win England have had against a really strong opponent under him if I'm unless I'm misremembering something it was against Germany in the Euros and he did then go to a back three uh and 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 presumably Southgate knows if he gets knocked out in the quarterfinals in this tournament he's unlikely to stay in the job anyway I mean he should just uh, go forth and do what he thinks is right but but I do agree that I think you probably have to fight fire with fire a little bit with this French team. I do think if you sit back and just try to defend and just hope Mbappe and the lads don't hurt you, they they will. Whereas if you if 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 they have weaknesses, this French team, and we haven't seen them really tested in that regard yet, it's that. Listen, that left flank, th- there's a reason Deschamps never trusted Teo Hernandez and insisted on using his far more defensive brother, uh, Luca Hernandez. It's because Teo Hernandez doesn't defend that well. And he- he's this sort of uh, very, very attack-minded left back who- who's not particularly interested in what's going on behind him. And in front of him, of course, is Kylian Mbappe, who isn't exactly uh, a wide player who's going to track back a lot because that's not what he wants to do. So, so that whole flank is is really vulnerable when you have the ball. And I do wonder if it's one of those where actually, instead of 
cowering in fear of what they might do to you. You should see it as an opportunity to, to really hurt them down that side when, when you actually have the ball. I mean, on the other side, Usman Dembele is not exactly uh, the second coming of Dirk Couch on the other side either in terms of <laughs> in terms of tracking back. So there there is some vulnerability off the ball with this group, I think, and they've just not really been tested in that regard yet. So I, I really think England would do well to be brave here. And I also think... The po- I think the nation. I mean, may- again, maybe Southgate cares about may- this. Maybe he doesn't. I think the the population will forgive England from going out is if Mbappe just runs wild and scores a couple of goals and is the big player of the tournament. But I don't think they will forgive them if they sort of go into the Testudo formation and try to become very de- defensive. And I I don't think that's what people want to see. I, I do also think that the obsession with Mbappe, and I sort of had that obsession myself, is uh, is is uh, an issue for England if they do overcompensate for Mbappe. Because Lars mentioned um, Dembele, who hasn't been as effective as Mbappe, but still pretty dangerous on that side. And you know, on the few occasions that Senegal did get to run at Harry Maguire, it 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 wasn't particularly pretty for England. And I, I do wonder when Dembele cuts in off that flank and sort of gets into full flow, whether that could end up actually being just as big a, uh, an, an issue for England in terms of stopping that Dembele sort of slalom run that, that he likes to do. And if Gareth Southgate is thinking of going to uh, a back three, I would suggest Trippier on the left-hand side because I, I, Dembele coming in, you know, I think you do negate a lot of that threat with having somebody that, that can sort of shore up that area. And I think Alexander-Arnold, for instance, could play uh, as the right wing back. I don't, I don't see Southgate doing that, but I'm just saying it. Uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't just worry about um, Mbappe because um, Dembele's a threat. And somebody needs to look after Griezmann because he's quietly having a very good tournament. Um, you know, he's doing a lot of um, going unnoticed because of how great Mbappe's been. But I, I've been very impressed with what Griezmann's done so far. I'm intrigued by this notion that Langdon has fallen prey to Mbappe mania and, and the question of how you, you stop him. Because in my mind, like, do you have the kind of, you know, in... in detective shows and stuff when you have sort of slightly neurodivergent main characters that they end up with a big sort of wall of like evidence and 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 posters and like this is draw some string from one bit to another i think i think does does langdon have a big mbappe wall at home uh, not a big Mbappe wall, but just a very small figure of Mbappe on my work desk that's been there for... <laughs> He's always yeah. there, waiting. Yeah, staring yeah. at him. Staring. It's your, ne- your nemesis, isn't it? One day I will get you. What's interesting, Robin, isn't it, is is most of this discussion has been about how England stop France. And I don't know if that is a curiously English thing or that's just how you look at a tournament from your... You're going, oh, he's good, he's good, he's good. And we haven't really said, how do we attack? What, you know, what do we... You know, I suppose we know our our strike force is good, but like, I think I wonder if that's just I wonder if that is just how you're programmed, or it's much easier to look at the things. Go, how do we stop that? How do we stop that? But actually, we are really good going forward. And Bellingham, you know, if he is released, and if if it's Saka and Foden, that is really exciting. And if it's, I, I presume it will be, but who knows? But that is just I don't know. It's an interesting thought I had listening to this first ten minutes. Oh, I think that, yeah, I think it's definitely an English perspective. Everyone who I've spoken to who kind of is supporting England are saying, no, no chance, you know, we've got... <laughs> but I think that is that is a very English mindset because actually I think most journalists covering the tournament from other countries are scared of England. And uh, that's it, it doesn't feel... It feels weird as a kind of England, England fan to 
to be in that position. But no, I think people, as you say, got an amazing front line against against Senegal. It really started firing. You saw Harry Kane doing what he does, dropping deep and really, you know, picking up really good spaces. Foden, Saka and Bellingham. I mean, I don't think there's much better than that. Um, and, and yeah, you've got to kind of negate, obviously, the, the clear threats that France have. But that's without, you know, kind of shackling what England have. And I quite like the balance that Southgate has ended up with, with the 4-3-3 thing and adding Henderson to the mix. Now, I get that a lot of people would want Henderson to go away and for instead of him to, to one of these many, many, many uh, sort of wide attacking characters that England have in there, maybe an extra an extra Grealish or, uh, or, or when Sterling, Sterling rejoins the squad and uh, mount in there, something like more exciting. But the thing is, having both Henderson and Rice in that midfield means that Bellingham can be Bellingham and doesn't have to worry about sitting around and can actually be free to move forward and do the things. And you still have a bit of extra solidity there. There. So I, I actually think that's a good like it's a good balance to that, that 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 team I think, and I think that's that's the point about what what Mark brought up about Griezmann because he picks up these spaces he's kind of almost sacrificed himself but he's really difficult to pick up so I think the likes of Henderson and maybe particularly Rice will be so important in, in trying to stop him and then yeah Bellingham can can do the damage. The other question I had Lars was who is the second coming of Dirk Cal that that went. Yeah. Uh, the, Unchallenged. Very, who are we, who are we is, thinking? It, is it Richarlison? It's, it's, actually, that, it's yeah. actually not a bad shout in terms of bringing energy in. Rich, yeah. I'm not sure Dirk would have ever done that head dribble move against uh, no. <laughs> against South Korea. I think that was slightly beyond him. But, but could no, he dance? I mean, but, but, That's yes, the question. So, so, so Dirk, Richarlison, Dirk Count is not the second coming of Richarlison. It doesn't work. It's no. not a sort of, it's, it doesn't work both ways. I guess there is a question then, given how well Griezmann's playing, Mark, and I don't think you. I would play Foden and Saka, but you could, there is a case for Mason Mount, who obviously currently is the sort of social media, he's a hopeless footballer, he clearly isn't, because he is defensively super smart. You could do that. I think that would be like one step too far, really, because um, you you do need to offer more of a threat sort of going the other way, because one way of stopping Mbappe would be to, for England to have the ball themselves and to put France on the back foot. So um, I, I think, you know, while Man- Mount has um, some, some qualities, particularly off the ball and the work that he does off the ball, I don't see this being like a, a game where England start pressing France. I, and, and Robin alluded to earlier about France sit back. England will do the same, I would have thought, out of possession. The one area where you mentioned Mount there, I think uh, if this game, and I, I wouldn't be surprised if we went to extra time. England's strength in depth, and I wouldn't have thought this a year ago, I, is stronger than, um, is better than France off the bench. The the options that, that England have got compared to Didier Deschamps because of all the injuries, I would take that England bench, particularly in the, like the attacking third all day long. So that, you know, this I think you should plan for a 120 minute game rather than just a 90. With this whole Mbappe conundrum, one of the things I, I immediately think about is my my very formative summer with, with John Anarisa in, in Malta, when I had spent a lot of time with the former Liverpool fullback. And one of the things he said sort of randomly in conversation when we were talking about the, 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 the football and stuff is that he had this personal principle that 
the bigger the name he was up against on the wing for Liverpool, the more he'd get forward. Now, I, I, in hindsight, I wonder what Rafa Benitez thought about that and whether that, that those were <laughs> his actual instructions. But privately, he always took to the field. If he was coming up against someone really scary, his idea was, I'm going to attack even more than I usually do. His idea being that this guy is ter- terrifying going forward, but I, I can run more than him and, and, I, and, and he doesn't want to track back at all. So I'm going to force him to use more energy going back than he wants to. And if he doesn't, that means I'm going to have a lot of opportunities down that flank. And I do wonder if that's something like adopt the Risa doctrine down the flank there with Walker or Trippier or however you do it. Um, who's who's going through? Um, in a word, Mark. France. Robin. England. Lars. I'm glad Robin said that because I didn't want us to be an all France thing. But I have sort of. I have predicted France to go to the final, so I just kind of have to stick with that now. I think. All right. Uh, Portugal-Morocco is the other game on Saturday. Uh, we're recording this the morning after Portugal's extraordinary win over Switzerland, putting them firmly in the mix for the whole thing, Robin, or not? What do you um, think? It's an interesting one because I think no team has really put in two spectacular performances back-to-back um, yet, I mean, Portugal had the opportunity and also Brazil have an opportunity um, when they face Croatia. But it does seem like a lot of them have been very up and down. Um, Morocco are obviously not going to be as, um, well, like the... the Generous. Swiss, yeah, yeah, the Swiss cheese, yeah. the holes in the old Swiss cheese that they, they found. And yeah, um, the, I, mean, I just think, can you imagine if you think... Do you know what? I'm going to bring Ronaldo back. <laughs> can you imagine? Can you imagine that? Uh, I mean, yeah, John, it'd be good for Jonathan Wilson, obviously. But um, yeah, I, I think <laughs> Portugal would, they'll be favourites again because Morocco don't have as big an attacking threat. But it's really, it, again, um, to use a sort of a, a lot of uh, sort of European managers say, they're going to have to suffer, aren't they, to, to get through this, I think. Yeah. I mean, without wanting to repeat what I said, uh, on the pod after the Moroc- uh, the Portugal game, um, Jao Felix, Mark, was so good in this game. I've just never seen him. He, you know, and, and it's too easy to say he was just liberated because Ronaldo wasn't there, but he just looked so free. Yeah, I mean, I think he's somebody that if he was playing for Manchester City, um, for instance, you would, uh, you know, he would just dazzle. And, and he's at the wrong team, um, playing for the wrong manager in the wrong style. And I do think that it was the same with Portugal and uh, he was uh, liberated and he's got so much talent and I'm just, I'm not sure what his best position is and I don't think you necessarily need to pigeonhole him into a certain position. Uh, he uh, uh, allow that certain amount of freedom on TV um, in the UK, um, saying maybe like a, a Kaka style player. I think there are times when he looks like Kaka, but there are times when he actually can play right up front and and be devastating he can play on the wing as well he's just got absolutely everything and um you know Diego Simeone uh plays a certain style of football that I just doesn't get the best out of attacking players and some people will sacrifice themselves and suffer Antoine Griezmann has done it before and is doing it again and and somebody like Shell Felix is just asked to do too much off the ball when you when you see like the best Paris Saint-Germain players and the best um, you know, Messi, um, for instance, even with Argentina, they do have rests in games sometimes where the star player is, is allowed a, a slight breather. Harry Kane, I think, is learning to, to do that as well. And yet, at Atletico Madrid, Joel Felix is just asked to, to run and run and run. And then, and then once you get <laughs> the ball, you're, on the you're bench. too tired to be able to, to um, have an impact. 
But I, I mean, as Jonathan Wilson has said for a long time, having Ronaldo up front causes problems for for the other players, and that's because you've got that threat in behind that opens up spaces in other areas of the pitch. And Chal Felix um, played brilliantly, and if Portugal can maintain that. They will be very difficult. I would expect them to beat Morocco, who um, to use the Croatia. They feel they they might be tired, Max. So they, they, there was some effort that that was put in against Spain, but yeah, if Portugal play to their strengths, which they did do against Switzerland, they're, they're a massive threat. The only question mark for this game is Morocco have been so disciplined in the games they've played. They've been so good at sitting deep and denying the opponent space of of, of just not letting them not letting them run. So paradoxically, this might actually be more of a game for Ronaldo because you might because w- you might want this sort of big lumbering guy in the middle to sort of uh, to, to menace uh, the the Moroccan defenders. I don't know, but they did look so much better without him. Uh, but, but but bearing in mind, it's going to be a completely different game. And I, I was the thing about the Swiss being ill. I think maybe because I, I just thought their approach was weird. Like there was this uh, that th- th- there there was a team that should not have gone to a back three. That did not seem to improve them uh, very much at all. And they kept leaving all this space behind. It was all very strange. And this is going to be a very different sort of tenor and and flavor of game. I can just imagine, um, you know, because actually you make a really good point about Morocco being deep, and actually that could suit Ronaldo. That he doesn't start, he comes on, he wins the game for Portugal, and then they're totally screwed in the semi final for, for like <laughs> for who should play. Like we, we, we seem to be writing off Morocco, which seems dangerous because they have really bit. They are, as as Lars said, Robin. They are they're so disciplined, and they also have you know they have mm. some excellent sort of technical players. I think Amrabat. Is, has been so good they don't have a lot up front but it hasn't really mattered yet mm. yeah no well I, I did their game against Canada and and they I just love watching them actually it's just a great they, they just seem like they're all on the same page there's a there's a real spirit but but more than that as you say they have the quality they have the, the flair players like Buffal who's been really good this tournament it is as you mentioned in the pod the, the previous pod it's just a shame he can't last very long, uh, especially if it goes to extra time. But Ziyech looks like a different player. You know, he's he's actually you know doing the work off the ball. And uh, yeah, they to say they just um, it's an interesting one because the manager came in very uh, I think just a few weeks before the start of the World Cup. Basically, they sacked the previous one because he fell out with Ziyech and Mazraoui, who's the left back. He was doing quite well even without them. But put, they went, no, you need to bring him back. Said no, and so this guy—that's all. That's essentially, basically, all he's done is he's brought back these players and and kind of pampered them essentially because they had a good defensive record even beforehand, and they've carried it on. But they've also got these really excellent technicians. I, I just think they're great. I don't think I might. This might come back to bite me, but I don't think they will be tired because they they're used to not having the ball. And the manager says they are comfortable out of possession. They're fine with it. It's not something that, that they, there's no panic. Um, so I think actually, you know, they'll be like, okay, we go again. We, we do the same thing as we did against Spain. I find them, for a team that plays quite defensively and doesn't have the ball a lot, I find them strangely watchable. And I think it's mm. uh, I, I think it's because they, they do, 
I, I, I might have invented a phrase, maybe not, but it feels like extrovert defending <laughs> because right. there's something that they're not like just clinically and efficiently, like they're throwing themselves into everything and just, rah, just be very passionate about everything. And it's for some reason that's very watchable to me. I, I've really enjoyed the Their center halves have been fantastic. Amrabat has been so clever in that midfield role. I, I've really, really enjoyed seeing, watching their games. And actually, it's, um, that is something about how you watch football and if someone is an underdog, then you you're much yeah. more um, accepting Invested. of, of accepting yeah. of kind of defensive football. Yeah. Where if, if it's Antonio Conte, you're like, come on, your team are better than the opposition. Like, why why are you doing that? But I think I, I don't know. I, I don't I don't sit there watching Morocco going, God, come on, show a bit because you know they're playing Spain and they like that's the right way to do it. John says some impressive scorelines in the round of sixteen. Are Morocco the only team left who've actually played anyone decent? Mark, is that a fair question? <laughs> Yeah, I, well, I, I do think that when you get upsets in the group stage, that is exciting to a point. And then you go, hold on, does that impact on the last 16? And there were a lot of games on paper that felt fairly one-sided um, because of the, the way that there, there were some of those upsets. For instance, Uruguay would have done a very different job on Brazil than, than what South Korea attempted to do. You know, if, if Germany are through instead of Japan, that Germany-Croatia game might look completely differently. Um, but that made the group stage so exciting. And I think you just need... You, I don't want too many upsets in the last 16 because you want great quarterfinals. And mm-hmm. I think we've got great quarterfinals. And that was... Um, and in terms of whether Spain are, are decent, I mean, they, they passed the ball a lot, but I never really felt like they were ever going to score. And you, you can look back on it now and say, well, all they did was beat Costa Rica in this, this whole tournament. And I, I think fundamentally the way they tried to play is flawed, really, in, in knockout football because they're always going to need extra time and or pen, uh, and penalties. You know, it happened at the Euros, didn't it? They had three games that went beyond 90 minutes. Morocco are quite defensive, but when they go forward, they do they, they do attack, particularly, obviously, with, with Akimi down that right-hand side, and they leave Ziyech and Buffal in, in wide positions as well. So I don't see them as being this sort of park-the-bus defensive team. And I also believe that the crowd noise from uh, from the Moroccan fans is one of the reasons why you're willing them on, because it, it, it's extraordinary sort of the noise that they're, they're generating, because when the European teams are playing... I don't know if it's just being at home, but the atmosphere feels flat uh, when, when, when it's two European teams. So I'm all for Morocco doing great and their fans have been superb. Yeah, and actually they're, they're, the scenes in Rabat in Morocco were amazing and the scenes on the Edgware Road in London were, were pretty special too of, of Morocco fans. Um, that'll do for part one. Part two, we'll do the other two quarterfinals. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome to part two of the Guardian Football Weekly then. So Croatia, Brazil. I mean, Brazil was so good against South Korea in that first half. It was a sort of joy. It was a nostalgic joy. They are not going to have the freedom, Lars, they had against Croatia, are they? 
No, and, and, and I think, yeah, I think the right reaction to that game is to celebrate the joyfulness of it. But, but but they weren't wrong, the grumpy pundits who were like, what on earth are South Korea doing? Like, this is terrible. Like, that was also true. I just think it's just, you know, uh, it wasn't the thing I would like to talk about after that game. But now looking forward a little bit, I don't think... I don't think we will see that version of uh, of Brazil against the much more canny, albeit tiring Croatia. Yeah, uh, who 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 have been quite underwhelming in this tournament. Croatia have been, but they just you know seem to kind of just scrape themselves along. And uh, I I really struggle to see them. I mean, if if they were if everyone were just you know fresh out of the box for this game if this was the first game of the tournament then you'd look at it and say hey a midfield of Kovacic, Brozovic and Modric that's kind of better possibly even than the midfield that Brazil have and maybe they could you know take the middle and get some joy but, but they're all look they all look, look really tired and and yeah but then it all it also comes down to something very basic which is Brazil will almost certainly create more chances than Croatia in this game. And even if they create an equal number of chances, I really don't trust the Croatian forwards to take mm. many of those chances. There's there's a real lack of cutting edge up there. Uh, when you're messing about with sort of Ante Budimir and stuff like this up front, it's like, this, no, this is not good. Like, on the other hand, you've got Richarlison and, and, and Vinicius and Neymar running wild. I mean, like, one of these teams is going to take their chances and the other one not so much is what I'm thinking. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I I. I'd written that down. You know, the the the, the questions are, Mark, can Croatia's defence, you know, can Dejan Lovren repel this Brazil attack? And <laughs> and with the I mean, Guardiola is, is you know looks you know fantastic, doesn't he? And then Croatia are just not going to have many chances. And if you're relying on Perisic to score brilliant headers from 18 yards, you know, it 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 feels impossible that Brazil don't win this game. And yet I can see Croatia somehow getting through. Yeah, I, I mean, I, the sort of cliche goes about sort of never writing off the Germans. I think I've come to the conclusion that just never write Croatia off. Uh, in, And th- not all of their tournaments have been fantastic and they've gone out of some of them early. But they're just a team that is really difficult to put away. And I don't expect them to make anything like the same kind of mistakes, for instance, that South Korea did. And if Brazil win, they'll have to do it the hard way and suffer uh, like they did maybe against Switzerland when it was late or even against Serbia when I did start to wonder whether the goal was ever coming. And the interesting point for me is that Croatia's midfield, you could say, is better or at least on par with what Brazil are, are serving up. And the way that they empty midfield Brazil has been great so far. But I do wonder if you give Brozovic, Kovacic and Modric that amount of space that they, they do because they've got Neymar and Pakatar um, pl- playing quite advanced. Whether that helps uh, Croatia, I, I, I assume Brazil will go through, but it wouldn't be like a what the hell has happened here if Croatia um, were to knock them out. I, 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 think, I know that Croatia haven't played that well in the tournament so far, but I always feel like there's a performance in them. And, you know, I... I still wonder about, you know, Brazil, I think we just helped massively by South Korea. And this is a completely different game. Yeah, I, I'm with both of you. I can just see Croatia boring their way <laughs> to the to the, to the semi-finals. It's just, yeah, Mark, that's such a good turn of phrase. They're so hard to put away. It's like you think they're gone and then you've got to kind of, yeah, almost run them over, you know, 
put the car into reverse and just make sure, but then they're back again. It's just, it's honestly, it's unbelievable. Um, and yeah, I think it's Brazil obviously should win this, but Croatia just so tricky. And and if it goes all the way, you'd back them in a penalty shootout because they're just they're just so so good at them. I just wonder if they've got any dance moves or are they just too tired if they scored? It's just like, let's just go back to the halfway line. <laughs> I'm very intrigued <laughs> to see the lineups drop for this one because I think Tietje has a really dilemma. Tietje, Tietje, yeah. 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 The, the Brazil coach has, <laughs> has, has a real dilemma here about whether he'll go with the full Jogo Bonito uh, lineup or if he says, it's time for Fred. Yeah, it might be a game for Fred, this, actually. It, it might be one of those where you sacrifice one of the wingers and you use Fred as a sort of a roaming, let's run around and kick everyone for an hour type of midfielder. And just to make sure you don't get a game where uh, the, the various itches in midfield for Croatia kind of just to get a hold of the ball and drag the tempo down and bore everyone to tears, which they are capable of doing, uh, tired or not. Uh, I but again with the momentum they have and the way they've been playing it must be very tempting to again just go out there and and with all the attacking guys and see how it goes Daniel in Zagreb says uh, spending time in Croatia means understanding that a Croatian stopwatch is a calendar our summers are long and hot on a perfect coastline our winters are cold and bitter and our economy is a perpetual shit show ostensibly we're not in a hurry for anything including winning the World Cup so they're just never tired they're just you know, they just do things at a slow pace, don't they? I mean, I feel like we've done... My kind of people. Yeah, I feel like we've done a lot of the dancing discourse. A couple of messages we had. Auckland Guna said, like, I thought it was pathetic. A pale imitation of previous World Cup teams. Before you go, Lars, there's, an, there's a point off the back of it that I think is interesting. It can't be a real Brazilian team with subs from Spurs and Man United and a West Ham flop starting. I think Croatia <laughs> will turn them over despite their tiredness. I thought... One thing I did wonder was, you know, we we sort of kind of often nostalgically talk about World Cups in the 80s, for those of us old enough to, to remember them, because we didn't know all these players. You know, it was sort of, it was exotic and weird because we didn't know who they were. And there's every chance that a lot of the 82-86 Brazil side were not playing at the absolute elite teams. And I might be wrong here, but like the fact that Pacatar plays for West Ham and Richarlison doesn't always start for Spurs doesn't really mean anything, right? It is different. Um, I'll go to Mark first and then you last, sorry. Well, the Premier League's just got loads of money. So um, that's why they're at West Ham and, and Tottenham because uh, most other teams can't afford them. Um, and it, it's as simple as that. And there would have been a time in, in to when the sort of Serie A boom where maybe there were players playing for less fashionable um, clubs. I mean, Maradona at Napoli wouldn't have been the obvious fit for him for instance but yeah I mean you you, you feel like Pacatar and I know that there were people in France that were really upset that Pacatar ended up at West Ham at a sort of mid-tabling Premier League team but those mid-tabling Premier League teams are richer than just about everybody outside the obvious Champions League teams. And also, I mean, yeah, Brazil's centre-forward is a rotation player for Spurs, but, I mean, 
Croatia's best attacking threat is a wing back for Spurs. <laughs> and 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 in the striker position they're picking for a guy who from a guy who plays up front for Usasuna and two guys who play in the Croatian league. Like so this is not like the global the globalism as a concept and the uh, unstoppable financial rise of the Premier League is not really an argument for Brazil being bad. <laughs> Paul says uh, hi to all following from the Samba chat. Occurred to me that I really enjoyed the dancing while also thinking how much I'd like to kick the entire Brazilian side. It's sort of very much how I felt. Roy Keane was my favourite player growing up, and I would normally side with him on such extravagant goal celebrations. However, during this World Cup, particularly watching Brazil, I found myself getting really getting into the dancing, even looking forward to the imminent corner flag routine after they score. I can only put this down to having two young daughters, Eve 8 and Erin 7, watching along with me, and them seeing several players in bright yellow shirts dancing while seemingly having the time of their lives is really helping keep their attentions while I explain the tactical deficiencies in the South Korean back three. I guess what I'm saying is we can enjoy both approaches, the dancing and then the subsequent booting in the air of said dancers, because whatever helps me get my two young daughters more interested in the game is fine by me. Play and dance on lads and lasses, says Paul, which is probably fair enough. I mean, there has been too much discussion of of it. However entertaining I found Roy Keane afterwards. Yes, Robin? Also, the Daily the Daily Mirror reporting that they've apparently got t- 10 other um routines ready to go um so i'm I'm very much looking forward to i'm not sure if we'll see all 10 but hopefully you know as you as you mentioned in the previous pod it's going to be a whole broadway show (laughs) it's going to be it'll be like that man going dancing the cha-cha-cha you know like Mm. they've got so many that they announce them but i do wonder is it's sort of easy to do it in a game where you're doing really well if it's a kind of 119th minute winner against croatia it might just be shirt off absolutely go for it who knows so i like the dancing and i think all the wailing and gnashing of teeth of dancing is proof yet again that uh, there are few organisms on this world more fragile than a proper football man but (laughs) having said all that i would love it if ivan perisic scored the opening goal and did like a really (laughs) naff dance to sort of uh, mug them off i think that would would be yeah yeah yeah. ivan perisic doing the macarena is what we want to see in this game and all of it as well until everyone so everyone's doing it yeah uh, and then and then what Saturday night when they go 2-0 up go straight from the Macarena to Wigfield Agadoo Agadoo doing the Agadoo yeah what's the one when you're on the floor rowing a boat it's upside your head yes. what's that one yes um, <laughs> really go through it uh, <laughs> here we are Brozovic in the YMCA gone forever um, uh, who's going through please Robin Brazil Lars. Yeah, it's Brazil, isn't it? Mark? Brazil, but closer than people think. Okay. Uh, Netherlands-Argentina then. Uh, Let's start with Lionel Messi. He did start, Lars, to look totally joyous against Australia in the second half. And I know it was a tired Australia, and I know Australia did. Like, they came back and they had those couple of moments. But there was something utterly marvellous about... We know Messi can do it, but it was so much fun. Yeah, that that was a strange second half because you could really see Messi going through the gears and really starting to enjoy himself and and adding some bits for his uh, YouTube compilations, no doubt. But but they also nearly messed it up. Like they conceded a slightly freakish goal, yes, but then they almost conceded a goal right at the end as well, Argentina. And, and as much as I, like, I I initially tipped him to go very far, and I I feel very unhappy about that prediction now. Uh, but, but they were starting to look like a joyous and fun team. And I think we all want this Argentina team to be good. But but that sort of spell in the second half against Australia, really the only point in time in which they've looked convincing so far. Now, 
you might say the Poland game, but I just thought Poland were just such an abomination in that match that I don't really want to give Argentina much credit for anything. And I, I haven't seen them play well an awful lot. And, and Messi's kind of having to drag the team on his on his not very broad shoulders, but which is he, which he is capable of doing, and it's great to see that. And I think we all, for sentimental reasons, kind of want him and want them to win this tournament. But I'm worried about the fact that they just haven't played very well so far, and 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 they're, and they're meeting a team that's kind of the the rank opposite of them now in the Dutch, who who, who in the sense that they don't have super super superstars. But, but they put out a surprisingly good performance against the U.S. in the last round. And, and I have a sneaking feeling that, the, that this, could be, this could be difficult for Argentina. Robin? I'd agree, yeah. Um, I found it very interesting in the previous game that Lionel Messi, they pissed him off, didn't they? Didn't someone absolutely yeah, take him it, out? Yeah. Yeah, and I thought he'd do, you know, he does messy things anyway, but that seemed to really kind of spur him on. So that might be something that the Netherlands don't want to do, is to, is to kind of, you know, uh, put a reducer in on him. And But I'd agree with Lars. Like, I actually, I mean, Netherlands are another team that haven't been spectacular. They've been efficient and they've obviously got an incredible manager in charge. And I think that's, for me, sentimentally, obviously I love Messi, it it would be fine. I'd love for Argentina to go through and for him to, to lift the trophy, but I also love Louis. Let's do it for Louis <laughs> Van Gaal, especially in the context of what he's been through. And talking about dancing, you know, that video of him, I've been watching that over and over again. <laughs> that was great. As he was welcome back to camp. Yeah, just like, just brilliant dads at a, a wedding, you know, him and Chi Chi. You know, it's just, it's just great to see it. I love to see it. And he's just such a great character and obviously he knows what he's doing he hasn't his team are limited you know they're not as as Lars said they're not spectacular the only thing I would say is I did a couple of their early games and Memphis Depay looked way off it absolutely way off it he couldn't trap the ball and now the USA game he looked like he's back on it so that could be massive for them yeah Mark I feel like I've I've changed my view of the Netherlands entirely on that game against the US where we were all starting to fancy the US and they didn't really turn up they were knackered but the Dutch did look, and we sort of joked about the Dutch being totally toothless, but actually they've got real pace. And it depends, you know, even when Bergwijn comes on and they've got Dumfries and Depay, they they do, they can hurt Nicolas Otamendi, can't they? Definitely can. Um, I, I felt that the Dutch got too much criticism for the, the game against Senegal, where, um, yeah, it was the tournament opener. They didn't create loads of chances, but there were a, a two moments where they really should have scored. There was a crosses into the box where the player was just waiting to tap it in and it went behind um, the player. So it doesn't even register as a chance, but in one of those where, you know, normally, you know, if Dumfries puts in the right cross, I think it was, then they just get a tap in. They still won that game, um, I, I felt, deservedly. Um, they, they had Senegal arms length the whole way through. The Ecuador game, they scored early and I felt that, They've just been saving their energy. I, I think they, they realised that the Group A was weak. They, and I still don't feel like they've done much sprinting even in the US game. They, they were happy to retreat, almost as if Louis van Gaal had been planning and plotting this way. And US just fell into every trap that he set. Um, but I would, I, I think that the coach is underrated. In international football, 
there aren't that many great ones. Um, you know, if you look at sort of like where would Scaloni be if he, the Argentinian coach, where would he be if he was sort of at club football? It, you know, it wouldn't be sort of a, a top Champions League club, for instance. I think you'd say the same about Gareth Southgate. Italy won the last Euros. Mancini was there and ha- had a, a shape for them. And I think that, that Van Gaal and the way that he approaches each game is high level and higher than, than, than maybe some of the other coaches they are strong in the middle, um, particularly defensively. I think Ake has been one of the, the players of the tournament. Um, he's somebody that I, I've never really loved when I've seen him play for Manchester City, but I do think playing for Man City defensively is quite hard because of the amount of work that Guardiola makes you do, sort of one-on-one defending. And you don't do that with Netherlands because there's, there's a lot of people close by. And I see them shutting down that space that Messi wants to operate in and then really hurting Argentina on the counter-attack and with Memphis back in form. Um, yeah, I'd I, I love, love that front two of Gakpo and, and, and Memphis. What I really love about Louis van Gaal and the 2022 Louis van Gaal is that here's a guy who earlier in the, his career was super dogmatic. Like he had his idea of what football should be and he tried to make all his teams play exactly that way come, come hell or high water. Now he's 71, and like I think most men, and especially men who have been quite successful, when they grow older, they don't become less set in their way. No, 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 quite the opposite. They become very, like, this is how it should be done. But Louis van Gaal at 71 has looked at this group of players and said, well, they probably can't do what I ideally would want them to do, so we're going to find something else that might work, and, and has really identified like how you have to set up this group of players to give them the best chance, which I think is really, really fascinating and really interesting to see. And what the Dutch have, which I like, is that they have two forwards who don't need any kind of system to work necessarily to create danger. Like both Cody Gapko and, and Memphis Depay are guys who can just skip past the player and just make something happen on their own. I, I think they're le- less reliant on on, on pl- p- people setting up the perfect chance for them or something. They're, they're individualists. And I think that in international football c- can be a positive because the system doesn't always work perfectly anyway. Who's going through, Mark? I've got Netherlands. Robin? Yeah, Netherlands, I want to see more joyous re- celebrations from Louis. Lars? I, th- I thought I was going to be the outsider here saying Netherlands, but it, yes, I think so. I just think Ar- I haven't seen Argentina play well yet, and I, I think the Dutch will do them. All right. Uh, so there are your semifinals. Uh, Netherlands, Brazil, and France, Portugal. And that'll do for part two. Part three, we'll just do any other business. Welcome to part three of the Guardian Football Weekly. Uh, Robin, you're back from Doha. How was it? Yeah, I mean, I'm very aware that from my perspective, obviously, it, it was fine. It, and, you know, everything was very slick. Everything was efficient. Everything worked from the media point of view. If there's a, if there's a problem, it was sorted out very quickly. And everyone there is bending over backwards to make everything great. So in terms of like a work perspective, can't no complaints. Um, but obviously, yeah, I, I've heard a lot of people sort of being sucked into the sort of uh into the this is the real the Qatar sports washing thing. machine yeah exactly yeah. and uh you know I rarely interacted with people who you know who are affected by certain uh way that the place is governed um but then you do meet people who say they're they're a bit offended by the coverage um and saying that it's over the top and so it's just it, it's interesting to hear different perspectives. I was saying earlier that 
the the person who drove me back to the airport was from Uganda and he was he said he was in heaven in Qatar he was earning a, a good wage and from the perspective where he actually he came from he's having a great life um so yeah it it's it's interesting but obviously you need to keep an open mind about about everything i think yeah um slightly less importantly who did you get to see performing at half time the spin doctors <laughs> baby birds uh, who did you get who were the people it was it was chesney hawks doing every single <laughs> game i saw but pre germany poland the people who sung celebrate celebrate good they were doing that i don't know who it was i don't actually know who sang that but they were they were doing some who sang celebration i know that, so these four lads doing this Cool and the Gang? Was it Cool and the no, Gang? No, it can't have been, can it? Yeah, it's Cool and the, the gang. gang. I mean, unless it was a, it like might a, been just a somebody was covering Cool and possibly. the Gang. Possibly. I don't know if Cool and the Gang are still alive, to be honest. Is Cool still with us? I don't even know who Cool from Cool and the Gang is. That, is. Yeah, I mean... Um, Robert Bell. His name is Robert Bell. Uh, Robert Cool <laughs> Bell. Uh, he is still with us here, yeah, born in 1950. Okay. Um, it might, I'm not so sure if it was actually go. them, but there were some lads with some very questionable dance moves that weren't in time at all. Um, okay. And yeah, uh, when they stopped... So Louis Van, it was Louis Van Gaal. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, no, he's got rhythm. Uh, when they when they ended the number, um, there was... It was like more of a sort of cricket applause, sort of cricket clap. Oh, no. It was, oh, it was a bit, so bit, yeah. Not great. Uh, Dadsy says, please ask Mark how his Germany to win the World Cup prediction is going. He made it before the Costa Rica game. Is this so, Mark? Uh, uh, yeah, it's not going well, uh, Max. <laughs> I, 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 absolutely, I absolutely maintain, though, that they were one of... I thought they were um, a, a very good team, actually. If you look at, what was it, 50-odd shots, um, I think it's 24 on target. They just didn't... Yeah, they, they just didn't get the rub of the green, uh, in, in my opinion, and would have... Been been a threat had they got through. Um, yeah, is that enough excuses? And I think what I think the listeners need to bear in mind is, I mean, Mark Langdon of the Racing Post is obviously looking at this from a betting perspective, and and betting is not about finding the most likely outcome; it's the finding an outcome that you think is more likely than the odds are suggesting. And I would back him up in saying uh, that Germany were too long at that point. Uh, Jack says, "Does Man City getting Laporte, Rodri, Gundogan, KDB, Akanji back already mean the league is nearly done for, especially with?" Jesus's, you know, really sad injury. It's three months, could be longer. What do you think, Lance? I, 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 my my, my, my brain is care? just not capable of, like, <laughs> I've watched every game except for one of this tournament. Uh, I, I'm not, I can't shift gear quickly enough to go back into Premier League mode. It just isn't possible. Do you know, I did think, though, I did think, though, that actually, you know, you know, it's quite an intense experience, but a lot of the players who are at the World Cup aren't playing that much and they're just sort of having a warm weather training camp. Yeah. Like, I don't, you know, like emotionally it must be tiring, I guess. But I mean, how different is Eric Dyer's life from being warm weather in Doha compared to, I don't know, some Liverpool player, I don't know, Curtis Jones, who's in Dubai doing the same thing? I mean, I, I, maybe some of it is lost in translation, but I was seeing the quotes from poor Tomiyasu after the Japan, Japan game, and he looks like he needs to go to a spa for about a month. He, he he seemed very sad and upset about it all, understandably so. But uh, yeah. And you look at Luka Modric coming off in the last game. 
looking looking very much like the ghost of Luka Modric. Uh, So uh, some of these players maybe need a rest, but I just I I have no idea what what the league. I don't I don't care yet. No, but I suppose an interesting part of being an elite sports person is you lose a final, you lose a massive game, and then you sort of back into it the next you know the next week in in club football. It happens, I guess. Hard to tell, and I guess we don't have to worry about it quite yet, do we? Jake says, I'm looking forward to the pod preview for the World Cup final. Also having an in-depth preview of Wolves Gillingham in the Carabao Cup. <laughs> it is mad that that's happening. A uh, uh, friend of the pod, the comedian David O'Doherty, who is very funny. He's on tour. Go and see him. How do the panel feel about the ubiquity of the over-knee sock? How do we feel about this? The the sock being pulled over the knee. I, I must confess to sort of doing it sometimes because I, I think it might give my knee a tiny bit of co- cotton support yeah it's a placebo I think it all all depends on the quality of the leg I think you can if they if you're if, yeah if you've got like a kind of spindly leg that you look fantastic running at pace oh, I really think. I quite like it I quite like right. it I mean that wouldn't then I, I can't put myself in that, <laughs> me that, neither that category um Seb says uh, all these Chesney Chesney Michael Schmeichel jokes aside, there's an ex-Australian rules footballer whose parents did name him Donald McDonald. And I think about that more regularly than I'd like to admit. Um, uh, yeah, I, I will never live it down. Well, I, I will live it down. I don't mind. But I did completely believe, Barney, that Wojciech Chesney's child is called Chesney. And there were lots of photos of Wojciech Chesney being a lovely dad. So I think it was his daughter. But like, you, you, you know, like from behind it was just someone with long hair he could have been Chesney Chesney and I was getting lots of pictures of Wojciech and Chesney Chesney you know having a wonderful moment after Poland had gone out uh, Mark says keen for Mark's insight into hummus and baba ganoush do they count as vegetables um I've, I've never eaten either um I, I really I, I no 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 t- I'll, I'll check on that I have tasted hummus I have I I uh, when, I, one of my friends who I used to live with absolutely loved hummus and would eat it sort of every day uh, virtually and <laughs> I tried it once and um, it wasn't for me I was I was kind of expecting I don't know what maybe like peanut butter or something and it just didn't it wasn't that um, and it, it, it's put me off for life should we like one off season should we do a food blog or something mark just or a video thing my, 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 my biggest wish is to be famous enough to be on on off menu um and um, unfortunately i'm never going to get there but but I mean- but, I, but, I, but, I'm, but i'm i'm only i'm only half joking because listen i share mark's carnivore in uh, carnivore instincts i went to a cafe the other day and with with a friend and i sat down and i looked at the menu and he'd taken me to vegetarian or maybe even vegan place and i'm like there's nothing for me here uh, but so I, i'm a bit like langdon in that sense but also i'm just baffled that you can live in in or around london your entire life and not have baba ganoush at any point it was like how does that happen so i feel like i, would I reckon like- you can avoid baba ganoush it's a bit smoky but, for but, me. Uh, I, mean, I love an i love an aubergine i mean mark your off menu would be absolutely amazing it would be the best episode of that excellent <laughs> podcast yeah it'd be like the toby carvery every different every type of meat this is why i want i want to I, I think mark and i should 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 just get some video cameras and go around london and eat food and maybe someone would watch that it'd be a much worse version of that fred gordon and whatever um, gino that itv did um last yeah. but we, we can give it yeah. a go or much better we'll see good luck good luck with your professional endeavors this is not the place to start having business meetings about <laughs> other work pursuits uh john finally says are you concerned max that baby ian's first words will be and that's today's guardian football weekly given the <laughs> podcast you're recording at the moment 
Uh, he, he sat in occasionally uh, when, you know, Mrs. Rushton's been at Pilates or something and uh, has been quite quiet for small sections. But generally, they wouldn't be terrible first words, would they? I mean, he's, he's already got mama and he doesn't have dada, which shows quite how much football I'm watching <laughs> and quite how little parenting I'm doing, even though I'm sitting right next to him. Anyway, uh, that'll do for uh, today. Uh, thank you so much, Robin. Nice to have you back. Thank you, Max. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, Max. Thanks, Lars. Anytime, Max. Football Weekly was produced by Joel Grove. Our executive producer is Daniel Seves. We'll be back, hang on, tomorrow. What is it, Joel? Yeah, tomorrow. Although, for the record, we do have a day off because it's Wednesday today. So Thursday, we do have a day off. Don't worry about us. This is The Guardian.